ever heard this story of Bobby the Wonder Dog? It was back in uh, August of 1923. Bobby was living with his uh, human family. It was uh, um, Frank and Elizabeth Brazier and their daughters uh, Leona and Nova. And so the family decided to go on a trip to uh, Walcott, Indiana, where family lived. So they left Silverton, Oregon, and drove the 2,551 miles to see their family. And while they were there, unfortunately, Bobby, which, who was a two-year-old uh, uh, Scotch Collie English Shepherd mix, was attacked by three other dogs, and Bobby ran away. Well, it came time for the family to have to go home, and Bobby still hadn't returned. So the family left, and they drove back home. And, and as they had gone out to Indiana, they went back the same way, and, and they would stop at gas stations and sleep in the car overnight, 1923. The interstate system wasn't there, and they were just making their way back. Well, it turns out that in February of 1924, when Frank went to open his front door, Bobby was standing on his porch. His toenails were pretty much all rubbed, uh, gone, uh, um, but somehow in six months' time, he had made the trip back. What a picture of friendship, of dedication, of, of loyalty. This, this dog that, that has a sense of home and would travel and walk all that distance to be back with his masters. You know, this idea of loyalty is what James is going to talk about in the passage we have today. And, and so it might be helpful if we have a shared understanding of what, what it means to be loyal. To be loyal is to give or, and to show um, firm and constant allegiance. Do you get that? To be loyal is, is to give or to show firm and constant allegiance. So as we begin our time, maybe each of us can ask ourselves, to whom or to what do we give firm and constant allegiance? To whom or to what are we loyal? Well, in our conversation last week, uh, where we looked at James chapter 3, verses 13 through um, James 4, verse 3, we discovered that James was talking that there's a real difference between wisdom from above and homegrown wisdom, wisdom of this world. That in this world, we are driven by bitter jealousies and selfish ambition, but that the wisdom from above is is full of peace and, and gentle, and, and, and it's just a whole different um, uh, set of motivations and actions that are attached to it. And so he, he's going to build off that in this conversation. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and open them to James chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse uh, 4, and then we'll continue through um, uh, verse 10. All about loyalty. Now, now the word loyalty doesn't actually appear in the text, but the concept does, and we'll explore some of that together. Hear the Word of God, James 4, verse 4. 
you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word, and may God bless our time together as well. Okay, so to get through our text today, we're going to, um, again, use that device where we just identify some key words, and we'll use those as anchor spots for our movement forward. So four words this morning. Uh, The word adultery, loyalty, jealousy, and humility. Adultery, loyalty, jealousy, and humility. So let's begin with adultery. And and maybe a way to enter into this conversation is to tell a story of another dog. This is a dog that uh, belonged to our family. His name was Chip Two. I was all of five years old. Chip Two was a collie. And Chip Two bit my face and ran away. He's just the opposite picture of loyalty, of being uh, a man's or a boy's best friend. Bit my face and ran away. When we think about disloyalty and marriage, we have the idea of adultery. We, when we uh, marry couples in the Declaration of Intent, we ask them uh, to... Um, that they, would, uh, um, that they would be faithful as long as they live, that they would be forsaking all others and be faithful as long as they shall live. You know, if you happen to think Christians are hypocrites, that they are unfaithful to God, you're not alone because James would agree with you. He says, you adulterous people, and the word, the way he uses the word, he, it's actually a, a feminine plural, which, which, which you wouldn't anticipate just from a Greek style of writing, but it's based in this Hebrew uh, uh, Old Testament understanding of, of the relationship between God and God's people. And essentially he says, you adulteresses. And, and, and he doesn't say just, hey, some of you who are doing this, he just calls out to all of them, you adulteresses. In the Old Testament, it was set up that, that the intimate relationship between God and God's people is so strong and so intimate that the analogy that God uses is that God is the husband and, and the people of God are uh, his bride, his wife. And so uh, just as an example, in, in Jeremiah 3.20, we come across these words, uh, and I'm going to read from the, from the NIV Uh, But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel. 
This is James, uh, only in the first century, bringing out the same concept. You adulterous people. Now, if we happen to feel pretty comfortable in our faith, we might find this really hard to hear. Like, maybe it applies to someone else, but it surely can't apply to me. I'm pretty comfortable in my faith. Uh, it's, uh, um, it's like we're drawn to the other ways that James talks to the readers of his letter. Elsewhere in the text, James will say it 15 different times. He says, my brothers, uh, which in the language would be my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. And at least three times he uses the word beloved, my beloved brothers and sisters. And so if, if we're comfortable in our faith, we may hear those words better and yet when, J Jesus, uh, when James says, uh, you adulterous people, somehow our ears just shut down. It's kind of like if we were to live in a valley. And we're so used to living in our valley. Hey, it's our valley. We're comfortable in our valley. But then somebody comes over the ridge and brings news that, that our valley isn't the only place. In fact, there's a danger in our valley. And that there's a better way of being on the other side of the ridge but we're so comfortable in our valley that we can't hear what that person is telling us because it's our valley, and this is where we dwell. And so maybe if you're feeling comfortable in your faith, these words, you hear them, you go, oh, that's nice, but you just let them pass right beyond you. However, if you happen to have this yearning inside of you, a yearning for a deeper connection with God. This, this sense of you want to have more intimacy and, and uh, uh, just more knowledge and connection and dependence and, and that your faith would grow if there's this yearning inside of you, then you already know this to be true. You already have that sense. The, the compass already has started to point in that right direction. And the bells have gone off. The, the, the lights have turned on. And, and you know that there's something wrong in how you've been approaching God. You're aware of your brokenness. And, and the words, you adulterous people, you receive them because, because you know that there's something so true about the accusation about the declaration. We're aware of our own betrayal to God. The Episcopal Bishop of Liberia once responded to a question someone had asked him about just, you know, what's the biggest challenge facing families in your country? And his response was this. He said, um, unfaithfulness in marriage. He said, in at least 90% of the homes in his country, there was adultery. And so for James to come out and say this, and again, he doesn't qualify it. Hey, those of you, those of you that aren't, he just says, you adulterous people. And with this kind of betrayal, with this kind of disloyalty, we know comes such destruction. It comes disbelief and anger and a sense of violation and hurt and betrayal. In Proverbs 6.32, we have this all underscored for us. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. So that's what James says. He starts by talking about the adultery we commit against God. 
But then he goes on to talk about loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty, and remember our definition is loyalty is giving or showing firm and constant allegiance. Giving or showing firm and constant allegiance. And here's what James has to say about loyalty. He says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You know, in our culture today, we use the word friendship in all kinds of ways. We're, we're Facebook friends, and that has its own definition. And um, we, we might be uh, besties or BFFs or casual friends. We have all kinds of different meanings of friendship. Oh, they're a friend of mine. Is, that, is this a friend? And we can mean it in all kinds of different ways. But in ancient times, at least as one scholar put it, is that friendship involves sharing all things in unity both physical and spiritual, that there was such a unity, that, the, that a connection, that, that you would share your common goods, that you would, you would share a, a sense of spiritual connection. We think of Jonathan and David or, or Ruth and Naomi or even the early church when they had all things together, they were friends. When Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, sharing all things together in unity, both physical and spiritual. And so maybe we can give ourselves a, a, a test this, this morning, a self-administered test. Maybe we could even turn it into a little bit of a game show. Um, friend of the world or friend of God? Maybe we could think through some of the, the ways that we're choosing to be loyal. Are we more a friend of the world? Are we a friend of the world at all? Or are we a friend of God absolutely in the following areas? When it comes to your relationships, and think back, think back over the past week, the past month, the past year, in your relationships, did you go about your relationships more based on the values of this world? Think about the conversations you've had with people. Maybe the way you forgave or chose not to forgive. The way you listened or the way you served. The pattern of your relationships over the past week, past month, past year, has it exhibited more the friend of the world or a friend of God? Think about your money. Think about how, how you approach your money this, this past week, this past month, this past year. Does it show signs more of being a friend of the world or a friend of God? We know that God says this. We know that God says that in the Old Testament, he taught tithing, that you would give a, a 10% right off the top uh, of, of your income, and you would give it to the work of the tribe of Levi, that they would be able to host the temple. And, and, and so the uh, beginning spot was 10%. And then you would give thank offerings and, and sin offerings, and you would care for the people who were in poverty, and you would give above and beyond that. We know in the New Testament, it calls that God um, loves a cheerful giver and that we're called to great generosity. In fact, Jesus said even about the widow who threw in just the last little few coins she had. And Jesus said, listen, this person has given more than anybody else. They gave out of their wealth and she gave out of just all that she had, just her poverty. And so if you think about God's approach to money, when you look at, at your life, and how you've approached money in the past week, the past month, the past year. Value system, is it more akin to being a friend of the world? Or has it been a friend of God, the loyalty, physical and spiritual? Maybe we could also do just in terms of priorities. We know that God, Jesus, when he was here, he, he taught that seek first the kingdom of heaven. And that we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
that would be a friend of God. When we look at our priorities from the past week, past month, past year, so our priorities in school and career and, and at home and our, at our, um, uh, whatever it might be in the priorities, have we been prioritizing seeking first the kingdom of heaven, a friend of God, or have we been setting the priorities according to the value system of this world, a friend of this world? James sets it up that it's pretty severe. We may like to have that common ground, that double-mindedness, that I can be a friend of God and a friend of the world. James says, no, a friend of the world, loyalty to the world is enmity with God. Which is not just to say that the, just because we would consider God an enemy, but it sets up the situation to where God would then see us as an enemy against him. Adultery, loyalty. And then we turn the corner to jealousy. Jealousy. Now, this comes to us from verse 5 in the beginning of verse 6. And we'll have to declare right up here that, that um, verse 5 is one of the hardest to translate verses uh, in the New Testament. We're not really exactly sure um, uh, how James, uh, what he intended when he wrote it. In fact, it comes out through our, uh, the differences in the translations. Um, the ESV and the NRSV will hold one position. The NIV another. The NASB will hold a different position. In fact, we're not even sure which scripture James is referring to when he says, uh, or, or or do you suppose the, 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 the purpose of the Scripture? We're not even sure what he's referring to when he does that. I think there's a really good argument for the case um, uh, or for the place that the ESV and the NRSV end up. And you can find this for yourself in Douglas Moo's commentary on the passage. But that it's talking about that God's jealousy for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us. And that the scripture sense is that it's not a particular scripture, but it's really the teaching that we find in the Old Testament, that God's a jealous God, that he sets this spirit up inside of each of his creatures, that, that he caused this, this aliveness in each of his uh, uh, human creatures. And he's jealous for that relationship. He desires that relationship. God's jealousy for us. We matter to him. Now, let's face it, if you're in a relationship and the other person is jealous over you, that can be a bit much. In fact, uh, we, we, um, we go to watch movies that are all based on the concept of somebody taking jealousy to the extreme, and, and they live this out and becomes all this thriller and everything. Having somebody jealous over you can be a bit much. But in God's case, God, because of who God is, he's perfectly demanding. In fact, if God weren't jealous for us, God would be being disloyal to his creation. God's loyalty to us is being lived out through his jealousy toward us. And the nice thing is, even though God is perfectly demanding and, and wholly demanding, James goes on to say, he anticipates our being overwhelmed by it. He goes, but he gives even more grace. But he gives more grace. God, perfectly demanding, jealous over us. That could crush us. That could crush anybody. And James goes, but don't fear. 
because his grace is enough. Jealousy, God being jealous for us, God's loyalty toward us, the keeping of his covenant, creatures created in his image, and God coming after them with his love. All right, so then that takes us to the fourth word, which is humility. Humility, as it turns out, is our loyalty back to God. Our loyal, if, if, if we're called adulteresses because of our disloyalty, um, because we've, we've become friends of the world rather than friends of God, and God has a jealousy for us, how would we then respond so that, that we become loyal to God? And we find it in this call to humility. You know, returning to Bobby the Wonder Dog, it's true that Bobby, now we're going to stretch the, the boundaries of uh, dog uh, self-awareness, just for a moment, hang with me on this. Bobby could have stayed in Indiana and become a Hoosier. And, and, and quite possibly the other Hoosier dogs would go, why would you ever want to walk 2,551 miles back to a home? There's nice people here. You know, a dog dish in front of you is worth two back in Oregon. But he doesn't. Bobby made that choice. And again, here we're stretching the, the idea of self-awareness. But there's this choice, there's this symbol of, of turning homeward, uh, of turning the face to, to where it belongs. Finds his way back. In the... Uh, ancient understanding of humility there in the word itself there's this idea of lowering oneself and so we know that god when he created us he he gave us this uh the the authority over all of the rest of creation that we would have authority over the animals and the crops and all this kind we would have this authority and humility is the idea of i'm going to choose to lower myself it makes sense to lower myself in fact in the, uh, Paul's write-up on Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus did not count equality with God something to hold on to, but instead he lowered himself. He took the form of a servant. Humility, this is the picture of humility, that we would lower ourselves, that it's the proper response. And so what James does, uh, he quotes uh, in the last part of 6, he quotes from Proverbs 3.34, about God opposes the proud and, and, and he gives grace to the humble. And then what he does is he provides for us what they refer to as an inclusio. Think, think of a sandwich. And so there, there are the slices of bread that would be at the beginning and at the end. And these happen to, to be submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to the Lord. And then humble yourself before the Lord. Submit yourself therefore to God. Humble yourself before the Lord. It's not the same words, but it's the same idea. They become the bread and the sandwich. And then in between, we have cheese and we have, we have meat and pickles and lettuce and mayonnaise. And that all comes in between. And, and what those things do in between is they explain to us how we submit to the Lord, how we humble ourselves to the Lord. So if you are looking for a list of to-dos, things to work on, these would be the things that, that we would write down because this helps us humble ourselves and show loyalty you know that that uh, uh constant and firm allegiance to god here's what he says he says resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Throw up obstacles. That, if you're new to the Christian experience, the, the Bible teaches that there's a physical world and there's a spiritual world and God's over all of it. And, and, and that in the spiritual world that there are forces of darkness and, and forces of light, that God is the source of light. And, and that in the darkness that, that there are these evil beings and, and this evil, the, the devil wants to thwart God's work in this world. Wants to tempt us to be disloyal to God. And James is saying right here, all you have to do is resist him and he'll flee. Throw up obstacles. And by the way, there's so many different approaches to how we can resist the devil. It can be as simple as as reading scripture. It can be simple as developing a prayer life. It can be reaching out to a a, a Christian sister or brother and and saying, hey, can can you hold me accountable? Can can you provide some encouragement? Would you walk alongside? It can it can involve seeking out Christian counseling or a counselor of, of some sort and say, hey, I've got this addictive pattern in my life. Would you help me confront these, these temptations I have? Would you help me uh, resist the evil one? Resist the evil one and he will flee from you. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a great promise. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now, Please know that this is not, the, uh, it, James is not dealing with the question of salvation. We already know that, uh, as, as Paul put it, that um, this, this is God's love, that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, in John's gospel, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Um, so God comes toward us in love that we receive faith uh, because of God's grace, not because of works, not because of anything we did, but once we receive that grace, then James says, now, make a choice. Make a choice. Who are you going to be loyal to? Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. What a great promise. And, and this drawing near to God, it too takes different forms. It can be a devotional time in the morning, getting up and reading some scripture and and spending some time in prayer, but that's not all that it is. This drawing near to God is is meant to be part of our day all day long, drawing near to God when we play, when we go to team practice, when we're in a meeting at work, when, when we're talking with our spouse, anywhere we are in life, choosing at that moment to draw near to God. God, I want to represent you right now. God, I want to depend upon you. God, would you provide for me in this moment, drawing near to God, and he will draw near to us. And then James goes on, and he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Such conviction. Do you get the connection between those two? One is cleanse your hands, that's external, your actions, and purify your hearts. That's internal. And that, that both of those go together. Live a life in response to how holy God is. God is holy, holy, holy. God is pure. So that choice of, of being able to say, now my life, this is loyalty. Let my life be pure like God's life is. And then he provides the words, be wretched and mourn and weep. Sounds like a really good Presbyterian, doesn't it? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. James so desires that we would have remorse. 
that we would feel the conviction. We know that elsewhere in the Bible it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And Jesus offers his burden, which is light and easy. And he gives us his presence. And there's such joy. What James is calling out is, look, would you look at your life, and wherever there's friendship with the world, would you feel the remorse of that? Would you not settle for the kind of joy that you're experiencing in your little comfortable valley, but instead turn that into gloom because you're settled for something less than God wanted for you. Feel, turn that into gloom so that you would leave that little comfortable valley and say, God, I want to go where you want me to go. I want our relationship to be the kind of relationship you want it to be. I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday or last year or 10 years ago. And would you bring that about in me? This is all our to-do list for humbling ourselves. You know, this may be an experience common to, uh, to all of us, but when we feel sick, when we feel physically sick, isn't that humbling? Like all of a sudden you can't do what you used to do. You, your limits have changed and it's so humbling. It's like, I, I thought I was more powerful than this. I, I thought I could do more. And in humility, we come to that place where we recognize our spiritual sickness. Our spiritual sickness. James says, you adulterous people. You're sick with friendship to the world. Here's the good news. God is jealous for you. God desires you to be in this relationship with him. In fact, he sends grace to make it possible. Now, here's how to overcome your sickness, knowing that God has already moved toward you. Move toward him. Resist the devil. Feel that remorse. Be convicted. And let God restore you. Finishing up the story on Bobby the Wonder Dog, because I know you're wondering. So Bobby, when he gets back to Silverton, Oregon, his owners share this story with a local paper, and the news goes national, and people start writing in, and, and, and uh, people who had helped Bobby on the way home, in fact, they went back and they got the pictures from different people as they cared for, for Bobby, and they didn't know where he was going, they just thought a dog showed up and they put out food for him, and they collected these pictures, and they told the story of, of Bobby going back to his house. They made a movie of it. They made a silent movie of Bobby the Wonder Dog. Bobby, unfortunately, didn't live all that much longer after the movie was made. But even when he died, Rin Tin Tin showed up to the funeral. By the way, if you don't know who Rin Tin Tin is, he's another famous dog from back in the... Bobby was lifted up. Bobby, who... who, who I know we're playing out the analogy, but he humbled himself to his master. He came back, this dedication, this loyalty, and, and then he was lifted up for that loyalty. And James writes, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so it seems clear that we have a choice. Will we settle for friendship with the world and kind of be double-minded and say, yeah, I also believe in God, but I really want to be friendship with the world? Or will we choose friendship? friendship with God. 
and then be sent by God back into the world and to represent God. But we are friends of God, friends of Jesus Christ, not friends of the world. We are sent to love the people in the world, but we're not friends of the world. We're not loyal to the world. We're loyal to God. And James says, when you do that, when you humble yourself before the Lord, God will lift you up. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for such teaching in Scripture. Thank you, God, that you are jealous for what you've created in us for what you've created us to be, to be in relationship with you. And God, you know the degree to which each one of us have settled for some level of double-mindedness, for some level of friendship with the world, where, where we try to rephrase the world's values in terms of your values. God, on this day, would you cause it to be that there's this unsettledness in us, this light that goes off, this, this alarm that is sounded, that, that we would be disturbed such that we would turn to you and choose friendship with you above everything else. Help us humble ourselves in your sight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.